Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the water cooler, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Brody. It's Thursday, June 24th, 2021. And boy, oh boy, the news hopper is popping today. Tons of news to get to. Rudy Giuliani suspended from practicing law in New York. We've got Nancy Pelosi announcing a new select committee to investigate January 6th. And oh, I'm sorry, have you heard? The VP, Kamala Harris, set to visit the border for the first time on Friday. And hey, Kamala, a quick piece of advice from us here at the water cooler. If you're going to be on the border, don't go there. All you'll find is yummy Mexican food. I truly hope you are literally not going to on the border. Now, we understand she will actually be going to El Paso, Texas, to see firsthand the crisis that has unfolded, even though she doesn't call it a crisis. So let me get this straight. Trump announces he's going to the border next week, and boom, all of a sudden, Kamala rushing down to El Paso. What leadership? All right, also today, get ready. It's time to play the awesome congressional game called Let's Make a Deal. Hey, ho, Joe Biden may indeed get that bipartisan infrastructure deal after all. There is an agreement in place as the finish line draws near. We're going to have more a little later. Also today, female sports under attack. A look at how the Biden administration has redefined Title IX to now include gender identity. Oy gavolt. And we'll also tell you about Nancy Pelosi's new move. She's forming a select committee to investigate what happened on January 6th. More on this later in the show. But first, immigration. Kamala Harris set to visit the border tomorrow, finally. It only took her three months to get down there, but I guess you can take your time when you don't consider it a crisis. Let's bring in Ken Cuccinelli. He now, or used to serve as the acting deputy secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Ken, thanks for being here, sir. My pleasure. Good to be with you again. Well, Ken, uh, Kamala going to the border. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, first thought is the same as everybody else's. It's about time. Um, but my second is I think back to Mayorkas, one of Mayorkas's visits, the Secretary for Homeland Security, where he flew down, did a press conference in an airport hangar, and flew back to D.C. <laughs> right. So, you know, we'll see what this looks like. I, you know, I was watching Democrat Congressman Henry Cuellar, who represents the area around Laredo, Texas, not where the vice president is going, but he said, look, it's going to be important. She needs to meet with ranchers and property owners, with local law enforcement and local government officials. And again, he's a Democrat congressman. He is right. And we'll see if she does that. Now, David, you and I look down there, we see a crisis. But remember, she sees success. They want the invasion. They see a voter registration line. That's how they view what's going on at the border. It isn't like most of America. She has the radical left perspective as she goes down there. And, and it's really hard to believe, Ken, when she's down in Guatemala and Honduras and all those places talking about don't come, don't come. I mean, come on. I mean, are we stupid? 
I mean, honestly, seriously, I, I mean, are, does she think Americans are stupid? We, we, that's not what she's been saying forever. And then all of a sudden she says, don't come. Well, first of all, they do think a good chunk of Americans are stupid. So yes is the answer to that question. <laughs> when they say those things, um, look, actions speak louder than words. Those words are to broadcast to the American people. The State Department has a budget in every single one of those countries where they can buy radio ads, put up billboards, they can advertise about the dangers of the trip, about not coming. We did that with our budgets. They are not doing that with their money. And that is the real proof that they're not actually trying to deter anyone from coming. That and when you see things like them dismissing uh, a supremely accomplished head of the Border Patrol, a career official, their attack on career officials who achieved a high position while Trump was president is unprecedented. And it, it shows you they're trying to decimate their own capacity on the border uh, to enforce the law. That, that, that's a really good point. Uh, actions obviously speak louder words and follow the money uh, for sure. Uh, Donald Trump put out a statement uh, about all of this, about Kamala going to the border. He said this, after months of ignoring the crisis at the southern border, it's great that we, <laughs> we got Kamala Harris to finally go and see the tremendous destruction and death that they've created. If Governor Abbott and I weren't going there next week, she would have never gone. Your thoughts about that statement? Well, first of all, if you're Kamala Harris's team or the president's team and you're ticked off about that statement, well, then maybe you should have gone sooner. Right. Um, because he can make the statement. It'll be one of those things never provable, right? But, but she has set herself up for it. Their lack of attention to this crisis and really lack of attention, again, is the wrong way to think about it. They have created the crisis. This is not an unintentional occurrence. It is an intentional occurrence. They want 150, 200,000 illegals coming across the border every month because they've already passed two amnesty bills out of the House. They passed H.R. 1. Of course, it failed yesterday or two days ago in the Senate, thank goodness, which would have been registering millions of these illegal aliens to vote. And they have not given up on that path to control by the radical left of our political process. You know, I'm glad you tied that in. Immigration, right to HR1, SB1, whatever you want to call it. It's all one kit and caboodle uh, and a master plan, uh, if you will. We had the president, uh, President Trump, on this show uh, just a few days ago, uh, the beginning of the week on Monday. He talked about immigration. I want to play this for you and get your reaction on the other side. Here it is. Uh, by the way, later this month, you're going to be going down to the border uh, in Texas with Governor Greg Abbott. If you had a few minutes to speak with Kamala uh, Harris about the immigration situation, what would you tell her? Uh, because after all, Joe Biden put her in charge of the crisis. Uh, by the way, they don't even call it a crisis. I'd say go back to what we were doing. It worked. Not so easy to get back there, however. I had to go through court cases, litigation. We had to win a lot. And uh, stay in Mexico was a very big deal. And we got that, and we got all the other things, and now it's all been uh, blown up. And you have millions of people coming into our country, just in case you're not aware of it, millions of people. And many of those people come out of prisons. They allow them to come out of prisons and other places. Uh, what's happening on our border is beyond a crisis. And maybe they won't call it a crisis, but it's beyond a crisis. Ken, your take, especially that uh, stay in Mexico policy is interesting. 
Yeah, look, it was an extremely effective program, arguably the most effective program we implemented, which is exactly why they got rid of it. To my point earlier, what you and I see as failure, meaning the invasion of the southern border, they see as success. This is their objective. This is not failure uh, on immigration. This is what they planned on immigration. They were told this in over 100 meetings in the transition, that this is what would happen if they pursued this path. They weren't just told this by career, I'm sorry, by political appointees like myself. They were told by lifelong career employees of the Department of Homeland Security who have expertise in this area. This is the most predictable crisis and, and self-inflicted wound in a very long time of this scale um, in the United States. Yeah, Ken, before we let you go, I've got to ask you about election integrity. You're, you're the national chairman yeah. of the Election uh, Transparency Initiative. Uh, th this has really been your bread and butter recently, especially uh, fighting H.R. 1, SB 1. So what is the, the, the biggest threat, do you believe, to election integrity in the country right now? So if you boil it down to to one thing, it is a federal takeover of state elections, because the purpose of that is to hand it over to extremely left-wing um, government lawyers. Uh, the lawyers in the voting rights section, so-called voting rights section of the Department of Justice, come from the ACLU. They come from the radical left nonprofits uh, litigation farms. And, and uh, some of their behavior over the last 30 years has been extraordinary and has been um, sanctioned by courts and so forth. So it is definitely uh, the greatest single threat is the federal takeover from the states of election law. There are many others, but if I were to boil it down to just one statement, that's how I would say it. You know, in 30 seconds left, it's amazing that the, like the democracy kind of hangs, the republic hangs in the balance regarding Manchin yeah. and Cinema. Like if it wasn't for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Democrats would be on their way to HR1, SB1, quite frankly, the filibuster, the legislative filibuster would be all gone at this point. Well, it, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of other Democrats that are really uncomfortable with the idea of getting rid of the filibuster who are just laying low. Ah. People like Aggie Hassan in New Hampshire, or even Warnock in, in in Georgia is nervous about it because of his election. Mark Kelly in Arizona, Masto in Nevada, Feinstein in California, not a name you'd immediately think. It, it is not universally desired on that side. And the hypocrisy is extraordinary, given that most of them signed a letter four years ago uh, demanding that the filibuster be kept forever. So uh, yeah. we're doing okay so far, but we have a long way to go before we get to the midterms and, and are safe. Ken Cuccinelli, always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. Great insight. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ken. Uh, great stuff. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to be delving in deeper to the infrastructure uh, deal reached today between bipartisan senators and the White House seems to be on board as well. We're back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. We're going to talk about infrastructure in a moment. There's this framework. We'll get to it. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, though, is in the news. Uh, look, the, uh, the New York bar, he's been suspended. Uh, he can no longer practice law in New York. This is because of what they say are his deceptive and misleading statements regarding the 20. 20 election. As you might imagine, uh, Giuliani, his son Andrew Giuliani running for governor, all pushing back on all of this. It's a developing story. We will have more uh, on the water cooler tomorrow and, of course, all across uh, Real America's Voice. But once again, Rudy Giuliani suspended, no longer can practice law in the state of New York. All right, let's move on to infrastructure now. Uh, look, there is a framework in place, 20 senators, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats who have come to some sort of agreement. Uh, the devil, though, is in the details. Let's get more on this from David Ditch. He is a policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. David, good to have you on the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, what do you make, first of all, of this framework? Because we, we now know that uh, Mitt Romney and, and the, the Republicans there on that side and, and the Democrats on their side are all going to go to the White House and talk to Biden about this. And apparently everybody seems to be coming together on some sort of deal. But, but I just wonder if this is going to get derailed at some point. Well, what's your sense of what's happening here? I'm not surprised that it was possible to get together a group of 20 or so fairly middle road senders to agree on a package that would spend a bunch of money and such that it isn't clear exactly how they're going to raise the money. Uh, what isn't clear to me is how much support you're going to be able to build on, you know, as you move towards the left or towards the right. Uh, from what I've seen of the details, uh, I'm not particularly enamored with the plan. Uh, while this does actually spend on real infrastructure as opposed to a lot of what was in uh, the plan that the Biden administration released a couple weeks ago, uh, it's still spending on a lot of the wrong infrastructure and it's spending in the wrong ways in many cases. So, for example, it spends more on rail and mass transit than it does on highways even though highways are literally 10 times more important when it comes to moving people and goods coast to coast and border to border. Um, it spends too much money on things that are private responsibility or local government responsibility. And all these projects are going to be covered in thick swaths of federal red tape. Yeah, and here's another part of the problem with the pay-fors. Uh, it seems to me, and we don't have all the details right now, but it seems to be either fuzzy math or budget tricks uh, for, with a calculator in terms of exactly how this is going to be paid for. I, I, this, is, this is what the senators and congressmen and politicians are, are, are very good at. There are lots of ways for members of Congress to according to rules that they set up, say that they are paying for new spending that in reality don't really pay for it. Because at the end of the day, what we care about is, is this going to increase or decrease the national deficit? Is this going to add to a national debt that, by the way, right now stands at over $220,000 for every American household? This bill is going to spend about $9,500 for every American household. And if we don't seriously pay for it, we're adding to that debt. I mean, not to get into the, the politics fully here, but the, the big political issue here, I mean, here's the way I see it. I mean, if you're a Democrat, this is a no-brainer. You, you take this deal because Bernie Sanders in his, uh, you know, liberal dungeon 
is working on this budget reconciliation bill. That's all of the rest of their liberal wish list of what they want. So in other words, why not just do this deal and then they're going to get everything else anyhow down the road on budget reconciliation. Isn't that the strategy here, David? And this is what's absolutely driving me out of my mind. The whole point of bipartisan negotiations is one side gets a little, the other side gets a little, both sides give up a certain amount, and it's called compromise. How is it compromise if you give up something on Monday and then Tuesday you're using a party line reconciliation measure to get all the stuff you gave up to begin with? It's a heads I win, tails you lose kind of scenario. And frankly, I'm not sure why so many. Uh, GOP senators are playing along with it. Well, I, I think you're making a great point here. And so, look, I mean, this bill might only have those 10 senators, maybe 15 senators. I mean, they might not get, I'm talking about Republican senators, because, I mean, the, the way I see it from a political standpoint, the only win for the Republicans here, and I wouldn't even call it a win, but I guess the way they can look at it is like, look, let's get something done here so we can at least say we were for infrastructure, because they don't want the Democrats coming back in 2022 passing all of the road, bridges, highway stuff and, and all the other budget reconciliation stuff in one bill, and then they can paint the Republicans as ones that, that stopped any sort of bipartisan um, you know, uh, infrastructure deal. I don't know. I think it's absolutely vital that if there's going to be a bipartisan deal, there needs to be a commitment, whether it's from Schumer and Pelosi, whether it's from Manchin, that there won't be some gigantic five or six trillion dollar welfare-laden spending bill that follows up on the infrastructure deal. There shouldn't be punishment for conservatives if some of them go along with the bipartisan deal. And again, it, it just, yeah. I can't understand why this would be allowed. I've got about 30 seconds or so, but I've got to ask you about this uh, one of the sticking points that Democrats don't want is, and Republicans do, is they want to use that unspent money on COVID relief. Um, and Democrats don't want to go for that. What are, what are you hearing about that in this deal? Do, do we know anything about that? It isn't clear what money they're talking about and whether it's money that would actually not be spent. Um, I think the vast majority of the money that hasn't been spent isn't going to be spent. And therefore, I would consider it to be fake savings. Very interesting. All right. Uh, David Ditch, really appreciate your, your expertise here from the Heritage Foundation. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Uh, he's really making some good points. And, and look, I, I got to tell you, if you're the Republican Party, I mean, what in the world? I mean, wh why would you even agree to any of this if you think about it? Because he's right. You're getting absolutely nothing in return. Look, l let me just lay it out very, very, very simply. Democrats are going to get all of this, this $2.8 trillion, whatever it is. They say it's $983 billion, almost a trillion for just infrastructure. Okay, let's just say that goes through. Bernie Sanders, as I said, is working on $2 trillion roughly worth of social welfare infrastructure, whatever they want to call it. So the bottom line is, is that ultimately Democrats are going to get everything they want. So why are Republicans playing ball with that? It makes absolutely no sense to me. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Title IX, supposed to be uh, pro-woman pro-gender identity back in the moment. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, have you heard the female sports in this country are under attack? Actually, let's be honest, women are under attack. I mean, remember the, remember the, ty- the birthing people? That's all I have to say. Birthing people. Hey, uh, newsflash to liberals, they're not birthing people. Women give birth. That's right. I'm sorry, and I'm going to say it again. I don't know if Jack Dorsey is around, uh, the Twitter CEO. Maybe he wants to censor me. But transgender males, in other words, men who say they are women don't give birth because, hold on, let me think. Oh, that's right, because they're men. All right, sorry, I digress. Uh, Here's a Washington Post headline. Uh, Title IX protects transgender students, Biden's education department says. And so the liberal uh, stuff, I I had another word for it, I didn't say it. The liberal stuff goes on and on. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, be joined now by uh, Meridian Baldacci. She is the policy and communication strategist at the Family Policy Alliance. Uh, Meridian, great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is such an important topic uh, and really getting so much ink. And well, and it's important that this is being discussed because this is a fight for values in our country. And uh, I'd like you to tell me a little bit, give us kind of a primer on Title IX and what the Biden administration has done to come against it. Well, that's right. It's not only a fight for values, but it's a fight about fairness, ultimately. Title IX was actually a law passed in 1972, and the intent of this law was to ensure that girls and women had equal access to educational opportunities, specifically to sports. So it was it played a huge role in giving girls access to the sports that they have today, and we're so thankful for this law. But in recent years, men have started competing in women's sports alongside women because they claim that they, as, as you just talked about, that they feel that they are women. Of course, that's fundamentally unfair, and oftentimes they are demolishing women in these various sporting activities. But the Biden administration wants to stand behind the men who are trying to do that, and they're using Title IX as the way that they're getting at it, which is uh, utterly ironic and deeply concerning. Well, and the Department of Education has put out actual uh, language uh, and direction, if you will, especially on this uh, ninth anniversary or 49th anniversary of Title IX. And here's what they say. Title IX's protection against sex discrimination encompasses discrimination based on sexual orientation, and here it is, and gender identity. Uh, you know, you just, I want to get into all the political ramifications, but maybe I need to stay away from that for, for a moment. But I'm just wondering how that, that can't be jiving with parents across the country. What do you got a teenage daughter who might want to be up for a scholarship and is going to lose out to a, to, to, to a man uh, masquerading as a woman? That doesn't make any sense. 
Well, that's right. Americans, real Americans are upset about this. And this is just the next step in the Biden administration's continued actions to try to advance this radical gender identity uh, proposal, these radical gender identity ideas. Uh, we saw from the get-go, President Biden said that he was going to sign uh, an he was going to sign the Equality Act within the first 100 days. When that didn't happen, he then started slowly releasing uh, various executive orders and now administrative actions through the Department of Education, trying to redefine sex in various aspects of federal law, including Title IX. And here's the really ironic thing: is that Title IX was meant, like I said, to protect women from discrimination in athletics. But now the Department of Education is saying that it's discrimination for those women to question men who want to play on their sports teams, who want to enter their locker rooms, who want to gain access to the scholarship opportunities reserved for them. How ironic is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but in essence, they're discriminating against women and, they're, and it's favoritism towards men, basically. I mean, that's kind of what their policy yeah. is. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it, 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 it. That's exactly that's exactly what they're saying in the Department of Education. Um, and, you know, there's actually two different guidances that they put out yesterday. One wasn't enough. They had to put out two <laughs> uh, saying not only we're redefining sex in Title IX, but also that it's sexual harassment. If a teacher chooses not to use a student's chosen pronouns, it can be considered discrimination. Uh, if a student is not allowed to enter a locker room, say a male is not al allowed to enter a female locker room just because he feels like he's a woman, that is now considered discrimination. And the, and the Department of Education could choose to take action based on that. That is just, unbe just unbelievable. I can't even understand the pronoun. I mean, I don't even know, like, I, even if I wanted to pronounce the pronouns, and, and I wouldn't even know how to do it. Anyhow, that's a whole other thing. All right, uh, there's a Gallup poll I want to show you here. Uh, they were. Th this was the question asked. Do you think transgender athletes should be able to play on sports teams that match their current gender identity uh, or should be allowed to play on sports teams that match their birth gender? Well, 34% of people think uh, it should be the gender identity, but there it is. 62%, the majority, say, hey, it needs to match their birth gender. 4% need to get with the program, by the way. They have no opinion. But uh, your take on a poll like that. Well, I think that's so important, and that matches up with what we've been seeing in the states. Last year, Idaho became the first state to protect female athletes by passing their own Save Girls sports law, saying only girls can play in girls' sports. This year, over 30 states followed suit and introduced legislation to do likewise, and we've since seen eight states so far now have laws saying only girls get to play in girls' sports. It's as simple as that. We shouldn't be having to pass laws like this, but we do. And Real America is behind that. The majority of states now are introducing legislation like this, and we are so excited to continue seeing them pass this legislation and protect female athletes like they were supposed to be protected under Title IX. This feels like it's got court fight slash Supreme Court all, all over it. I mean, this, this is a next generation. This is a, this is a battle that's going to play out in the courts, is it not? I would not be surprised if that's what happened. That's certainly what happened in 2016 when the Obama administration issued similar guidance to schools. 13 states ended up suing the government over that, and ultimately that uh, guidance was enjoined. It was prevented from being enforced against uh, against students. And so we hope to see the same kind of action here. Uh, and certainly, at any rate, we encourage states to just keep pushing back against this unrealistic, dangerous agenda from the Biden administration. And give me 30 seconds before I let you go about the Family Policy Alliance. What do they do uh, and what, what kind of work are, are, is the group involved in? Thanks for asking. Family Policy Alliance is a national ministry. Uh, we work in alliances, as our name suggests, to ensure that we are protecting 
family policy and particularly children uh, across the nation. So we're working on pro-life issues, sex and gender, religious freedom, education, you name it, at both the national and state levels. And we're empowering citizens to speak out to their representatives to make a difference. Meridian Baldacci, really appreciate you being here today on The Water Cooler. Thanks so much, great insight. Thanks for having me. All right, and not only was it great insight, I'm just gonna say, you know, because we'll say anything on the show. We will literally say anything on the show. That's a great last name. I mean, the whole name, Meridian Baldacci, I love it. I mean, I'm thinking David Baldacci, the water cooler with David Baldacci. Madison, yes? Madison says no. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler. I love that theme music. I, that's my ringtone. Can you imagine? How narcissistic is that? Every time my phone rings, it's the water cooler. That's really bad. All right. I don't know. I'm cracking myself up. Uh, here's something that's not too funny. Uh, January 6th. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is starting a select committee when it comes to investigating January 6th. She made that announcement today. Here's Nancy's reasoning. Is there a timeline that you want this committee to have a final report to you? Yes. Who, who will this committee report to, and, and what does that final report look like? Well, the timeline will be as long as it takes for them the time they need to do the investigation of the causes of this. There are two actual uh, paths. One is about the root causes of it, the white supremacy, the anti-Semitism, the Islamophobia, all the rest of it that was so evident when you see a sweatshirt on one of the people saying Camp Auschwitz. The other is the security of the Capitol and what it, what it means to be ready for such an insurrection. While I think we could have been better prepared, I don't think anybody would have foreseen an insurrection incited by the president of the United States. So okay. the timetable. Okay, an insurrection by the president of the United States, who, by the way, at the time said, let's march peacefully. That th there are your insurrection words. Words. March peacefully to the Capitol. He incited an insurrection. Look, I'm tired of this stuff. Can I just walk off the set? I, no, I can't because we have no. Thank you, Madison. Madison's saying I can't walk off the set because we have Pastor Brian Gibson, uh, founder of Peaceably Gather, uh, with us uh, from NRB. Uh, hey, Pastor Gibson, uh, what do you look? The whole Nancy Pelosi thing. I got to tell you, you know, why don't they call it the Select Committee on Witch Hunts? I mean, I don't know. What do you What do you want me to? I don't know what you want to say. Well, I think who uh, a committee should investigate around what happened on January sixth should be maybe Nancy Pelosi uh, and the Capitol Police and their handing, handling of the situation up there, because I think she somewhat uh, has a role up there, right, as the speaker. And and uh, some of that security and some of those teams uh, should be briefed and answered to by her. So, so yeah, the, more on the insurrection, more on uh, violent extremists and racists and all of the same buzzwords. Uh, honestly, there's a lot of people that are still held seemingly, it almost looks like political prisoners. There were people up there that did bad things. We, we know it's terrible. They shouldn't have went in the Capitol. Right. But then the lines were down at one point, David, and cops were waving people in. And there's some couple that didn't know what was what from rural Missouri, right, that walked into the Capitol, took a selfie of themselves. Uh, they weren't armed. They didn't take people over. Some of these people are still held without bail. 
And I think that's the real investigation. That's the real story. Are these people political prisoners now? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Hey, you're down at NRB. The National Religious Broadcasters Association holds their annual convention. T t talk to me a little bit about NRB 2021. What are you doing down there? Uh, who are you talking to? Are you, are you, I, don't take this the wrong way, but are you gaining weight with all the meals down there? Because there, there, there's a lot of food down there at that place. There, there's a lot of food. Uh, yeah, the NRB is different religious broadcasters from, from around America come together for this convention. And uh, so a lot of people that love the country, uh, number one, they, they love Jesus, right? Uh, uh, tons of Christian voices and ministers here uh, and people that, that go out of their way to push the message of the gospel and biblical revelation out in the airwaves through TV, radio, social media, you name it. So uh, it's, been, it's been a great week and made some great connections. And uh, I'll tell you what, the, the broadcasting uh, industry has some probably fights ahead of you, um, especially with what everybody does with cancel culture. And also if the cur current administration um, keeps up with pulling down opinions that don't uh, line up with theirs, the religious community could see some real fights. Yeah, no, I think I think you're actually ahead of the curve on that one for sure. Hey, let me ask you about this new Summit Ministries poll. Uh, they do it along with Rasmussen. It has to do with religious liberty. It, it shows that an overwhelming majority of Americans do support religious freedom, and they do oppose key provisions of the Equality Act. As I go through this, 82%, Pastor Gibson, 82% of Americans say freedom of religion is important to American society. Only 9% say it's not important. Who are those 9%, by the way? Anyhow, and only 20% of Americans say church and faith-based charity should be required by law to hire people who oppose their religious beliefs. So bottom line is 80% say that that shouldn't happen. What, what's your take on some of these poll numbers? Well, I think that's uh, encouraging, number one. Uh, I think it's very accurate. I think a lot of times we don't see that if you're watching uh, traditional media or if you're listening to what I call the ruling caste in America, right? The ruling caste is so out of touch with the average American. Uh, most Americans understand that this nation has been built on religious freedom and built on the principles of your right to worship as you choose to worship without government uh, interference. And so even people that aren't overtly religious still have a grandmother that went to church, a mother that went to church, and they don't want to see those rights violated. What I hope is these uh, leftist politicians understand, people like the squad, people like Pelosi, people way on the left, who, who they, that they start to see this is where America is. Because we all know most of them, right, they, they rule by the polls, right? They got their finger up in the air, seeing what the polls will say. They better, they better wake up to the fact that we still want religious freedom in America. Yeah, and by the way, religious freedom in America, to, to them, the squad, the left, at first it was, yeah, you can have your religious freedom, just keep it inside the church. And now they're, gonna, now they're busting the church down. I mean, now, now it could be hate speech on some of the stuff they're saying inside the church. And so they're coming inside the four walls as well. Yeah, with, with the Equality Act, we've talked about it many times. It's the Inequality Act. And uh, it's the Anti-Semitic Act, the Anti-Christian, mm -hmm. the Anti-Muslim Act, because you can't have your beliefs even inside your church mm -hmm. unless they line up with AOC's belief system, right? And uh, we're not going to have that. We're not going to quit talking. I'm telling you what, there's guys like me all around America. Pass whatever law you want. We will say what the Bible says. And if you want to stop us from doing it, come and take it. Pastor Gibson, come and take it. I think that's where you say, come on, come on. I know. Come on. Yeah, come on. There it is. Yeah. There it is. You need to trademark that, that expression. Come on. Um, <laughs> come on.
All right, uh, Pastor Brian Gibson, founder of Peaceably Gather. Thanks so much for peaceably gathering here today, sir. Thank you, David. All right, uh, and he, you know he's right. Why do I, I every time he's on? Every time he's on the show, I say he's right. Why do I morph like this? Look, I grew up Jewish. I, you, you know the story. I don't know if you know the story. I grew up Jewish, uh, became a Christian, uh, evangelical Christian, 1988, gave my life to Jesus. But still, as I get older, I always start talking like this. So I, I, it's like I morph back into my Jewishness or something like that. I, duh, my back is killing me. I got a headache and I'm starting to complain. I, that's me. I can say it. Ancestry DNA, 100% Ashkenazi. All right, when we come back, we're doing the last sip, and that should be fun, I think. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Time for, boom, the last sip. Uh, Look, uh, are you vaccinated? Look, if you're not vaccinated, why don't you just go get vaccinated? You could get a free Krispy Kreme donut. You could get a burger, fries, an oil change. They're offering all sorts of free stuff uh, to get vaccinated. (laughs) Okay, good luck with that. Anyhow, uh, so our RAV team put together this. This has to do with all the free stuff you can get for vaccination. Have a look. We're going to continue encouraging people to get vaccinated with incentives and fun rewards. $50,000. Each one of these balls represents $50,000 check that individuals receive when they get their second shot. I don't think I can overstate (laughs) how excited we are right now. Krispy Kreme announcing this week a free donut every day this year for anyone who could show their COVID vaccination card. Did you say free fries when you get vaccinated? Um, I got vaccinated. You're saying I could get this? Your delicious fries. Right, Matt. But there's also a, a burger element to this. Any New Jerseyan who gets their first vaccine dose in the month of May and takes their vaccination card to one of the following participating breweries as proof of vaccination will receive a free beer. It's the only reason I regret waiting to get my first shot. That's all I can say. Today I'm announcing the all-in for the win vaccine lottery with $10 million in prizes. How can you get in on the action? Well, you just have to be vaccinated. We call it DE wins. Uh, Delaware wins. Everybody wins when everybody gets uh, vaccinated. And so we offer gift cards when people come in to get the shot. Pot is legal in Michigan, and yes, it's free. It's one joint. Oh, but they call it a pre-roll if you get a COVID vaccine. Are you going to get a shot? Yeah. Ah, here you go. Take one. There you go. You got one, too. What are you waiting for? To those who haven't yet been vaccinated, please join us. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. Gotcha. I give up. Producer David, by the way, did that here at REV. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Madison, let's do this. Shall we give everyone, if you want to get, we want you to get vaccinated, don't we, Madison? Do we? I don't know. If Maybe we don't. But but if you were, well, oh, sorry. But if you were going to get vaccinated, uh, we can give an eight and a half by 11 glossy of uh, me. How about that? That would, would that not incentivize America? I'll take the Krispy Kreme donut. Welcome back to the water cooler. End of the show, everybody. I would say that Joe Weber is here, but guess what? He's not. Uh, So I am, and uh, sorry uh, about that. You have to hear more from me. But actually, let's hear from Lauren Boebert, a congresswoman, Lauren Boebert, 
who introduced a resolution that would censure the president of the United States, Joe Biden, because he's been basically AWOL on the border. He's been horrible. So she wants to censure him. Uh, and there's got over 30 Republicans on this thing. Uh, here's Lauren Boebert. Calling this what it is? A full-blown humanitarian crisis and working to end these atrocities, President Biden passed the buck to Cacklin Kamala when he tapped Ms. Harris as borders are. Her work on the border is non-existence. It's a joke. And even she laughs. But it's not funny. This administration has not lifted a finger to end this crisis and secure our southern border. They must be held accountable. And that's why today I am proud to lead my colleagues in filing a bill to censure President Joe Biden for his dereliction of duty and failing to secure the southern homeland. Tackling Kamala. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Anyhow, uh, it's going nowhere, uh, as you might imagine. Uh, the House of Representatives controlled by the Democrats, controlled by Pelosi, not happening. But we just thought it was interesting to kind of give you a sense of what Republicans are trying to do here to paint the Biden administration weak on immigration. Doesn't take that much effort, by the way. Uh, and so you've got uh, Cackle and Kamala uh, heading to the border. Uh, but, you know, I know she hasn't been to the border yet, but you know what? She hasn't been to Europe either. So give her a break. Eh, that was that was a piece of work by her. That was that was a foot and mouth situation. Uh, and then on the censure situation, just, you know, even if it passed, which this just in is not passing. But even if it did pass, it's it's a censure. Uh, it doesn't have any. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, authority behind it, really. I mean, it's just a censure, though. If the House and Senate ever censure a president, it's obviously a big deal. But it's not like, you know, he has to walk out like Biden has to walk out of the White House with a censure paper or anything like that. Anyhow, just interesting stuff. All right, uh, that's it for the show today. We are going to be back on a Friday. That's tomorrow with a big show. We've got some guests lined up. Oh, boy. I think this is going to be a good show. I'm not really sure who's on the show. I'm just told who's on the show, and then I just read whatever is in prompter. See you tomorrow.